Please stand for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he, which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, well, I'm back. It's been a long time. Welcome again. Uh, as I said, my name is Travis. We are continuing, if you're just joining us, in a series in the first half of the book of Ephesians. If you're looking for Ephesians, it's in the skinny part towards the end here. Uh, we are starting and have been going through a, a series here in the second week called Grace and Peace, uh, looking at Paul's letter that he wrote to a church that he had helped plant some seven years earlier in a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Western Turkey. And he wrote this letter to that church that he had helped found in the face of uh, some disunity that was going on, that there were Christians of different ethnicities that were not really coming together, that were kind of just doing their own thing. Even though they shared the same faith, they didn't have a common life together. And these Christians were also facing the temptation to compromise on the foundations and core of the faith. They were living in a time much like ours here in the greater Cambridge area, where being a Christian was not normal, it was thought crazy. And so it was tempting to shave off, as it's tempting for us to shave off, the rough edges of the faith, to make things just a little simpler, a little more palatable and acceptable for life among people who don't believe what you believe. And so Paul writes this letter as a reminder to this church about the heartbeat of the Christian faith. What is it about? What's the core of it so that they can continue on in that and be caught up in it as well? And Paul's summary of the heart of the faith comes out in verse 2, which we didn't read this morning, but you could go back and see there. It says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's summary introduction, as he often does in his letters, is this message, grace and peace. That, Paul says, is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. And my prayer is that through this series, we would have more of both in our lives, that we would experience it more for ourselves, and that in that, those around us would experience it through us. That both each other as a community here and outside the walls of our community, people would know us as a community that is marked by grace for one another, grace for ourselves, peace among ourselves and one another, peace within ourselves, that we would be a people marked by grace and peace. And last week, we started to explore what, what Paul leads off with as the personal foundation of grace and peace, that it's not just about ideas, that grace and peace aren't just concepts that are sort of floating in the air somewhere. They're not just in the realm of ideas. Grace and peace are about a person. They're about Jesus Christ. They are personal at their core, which means they actually come alive to help us. Christianity is something that pursues you just as much, if not more, than you pursue it. 
because it's the person of Jesus who is alive who comes to meet with you. And this week, we're looking at Paul beginning to define what that personal grace is all about. What does it look like? How would you even understand it? How would you explain it to someone else? And he starts by helping us appreciate the wonder of God's grace. That's how Paul starts unpacking what grace looks like as he gets us to wonder about truly what grace is because it is something different. It is something other. It's not something that we are accustomed to, something that feels normal for us. It feels strange and different. And so this week, I want to look at how Paul starts to define grace through this wonder. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the definition of grace, the wonder of grace, and the importance of the wonder. So the definition, the wonder, and the importance of the wonder. But before we do that, would you bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to fill up our time together here. God, we still our hearts before you for a moment, having heard from your word that you sent for your people, that this letter was meant for those who needed to hear from you and meant to go beyond them to those who had not yet heard from you. So whether my friends in here this morning know you or don't, I pray that your word would be for them, that you would tune it, Holy Spirit, to their hearts, that it would resonate at the frequency in which they are living right now, whether that is somewhere below feeling like they are at the full capacity of life or whether feeling like they are just flourishing fully or, or just somewhere in between. God, would you meet them in the resonance of their life with your grace, with the wonder of who you are and what you have done and what your grace looks like to us? Would that be in some small way, fresh and new and even overwhelming? Would it impress on their hearts that they might leave as those who are marked by an encounter with your grace? So would you do that this morning? It's in your son's name that we ask it. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together. Uh, but we're going to start by trying to define grace a little bit more. We've talked about how it's personal, how it's in Jesus, but what is grace? The Dictionary of Paul's Letters, which is a combination of scholars sharing about Paul's writings, says that in Paul's writings, the word grace, which in the ancient Greek is charis, it, it carries the basic definition of favor. And when the subject is God acting in grace towards humanity, it says it's undeserved favor. It's one of the key definitions. We already referenced that in our catechism this morning, that, that grace is undeserved favor. It's God personally showing uh, undeserved favor to people. That's grace to Paul in a nutshell, in two words, undeserved favor, personally from God to you. God showing something to you that's not required, showing you a kindness. And Paul is someone who used to persecute the church, who was a gang leader, who had people killed for just being associated with Jesus, knows what it's like to be someone who experiences undeserved favor from God. Inclusion, not on the basis of what you have done, but just on God's gracious choosing of you. And yet, even knowing that, knowing Paul's story, it can feel difficult to sort of put our finger on what, what does grace mean? What does it mean to have undeserved favor from God? Paul experienced it, but, but what does that look like for us? And thankfully, Paul spells it out quite a bit in these verses, and we're going to go through verses 3 through 5 largely, and a little bit of 6. But Paul says that, that God's showing us favor that, that isn't required 
looks like doing all the things Paul says he has done here in these few verses. That God's grace to us, his undeserved favor, looks like first, verse 3, God blessing us. If you were here with us in the spring of last year, we talked about what God's blessing means in another uh, series. And blessing is not just a nice word to you from God. It's not just an encouragement. Blessing, biblically, is something that equips you for what it calls you to. It's actually a gifting, an enabling for what God would have you uh, have in life. It's something that makes you thrive. It gives you the ability to do that. And here Paul says God gives you heavenly blessings. He gives us what we need to thrive in an environment that is entirely different than our lived everyday, day-to-day experience. Okay? No one, even on the best of days, really thinks that this place is heaven. You might say it feels like heaven sometimes, rarely, probably not in winter, but this is a different reality that Paul is talking about here. It's a life beyond imagining. And Paul says that God fills you up, he makes you thrive for that environment, for an entirely different kind of life, not just your ordinary everyday life, but one beyond. And he does it by giving, it says, every spiritual blessing for it. Not just some, not just a few, not just one or two, and then you have to go along and collect them yourselves like it's some sort of video game, a spiritual Oregon Trail or Pokemon or whatever else. It's not like that. As many as there are, every, all, as many as there are, he gives you all of them so that you might thrive in that reality, in a reality beyond you, in a reality higher than you. And you may not be open to that idea naturally, the idea of a higher reality, something that you can't see. We can't get into that right now. Maybe let's talk after the service if you want to talk more about that. But what I want you to see is that Paul says in a system that assumes a higher reality and a lower reality that God desires to make you thrive in a higher reality. The God, the infinite, the almighty, we're going to talk more about that, desires to have you thrive in a higher reality, not the lower one. But that's his heart for you, that you would be elevated, that you would be lifted up. That's grace. He doesn't need to have you up there, but he wants to have you up there. That's grace. Paul keeps going. Verse 4. He says, grace also looks like God choosing us in Christ to be holy and blameless. Holy is a tough word to get our arms around, but essentially it means separate, set apart, special. For, For a specific use and purpose, it's unique. It's set aside. It's like your best clothes, your best whatever it is that you enjoy for a special occasion, for a certain thing. It's holy. It's set apart. And to be blameless is to be perfect. It's to have no faults or flaws, to be the most perfect example of something. And it means in Christ that when you belong to him just by faith, not by doing anything on your own, God both chooses and makes us to be special, to be set apart, and to be perfect. That God does that for you. He makes it so that you are perfectly tuned to exist in that higher reality with Him, with He who is holy and blameless. He makes you fit to be in that higher reality. Every spiritual blessing, including changing who you are to fit who He is to make it fitting that you would be in his presence. 
to enjoy that with him, even though he's not required to. It's not on him to clean you up, to make you different, to make you new, and yet he desires to do that. That's grace. Verse 4 and 5 go further and say God lovingly chooses us to be that way with him and not just be that way around him, but to actually belong to him by adoption, meaning we belong to him not just as friends, but as children who weren't naturally his, but who become his, who he claims as his own with intention and purpose, who he goes out and says, you were not mine, but I make you mine. I choose you as family when I don't have to. When I have no physical obligation to you, I choose you. And it says he chooses to do that from before the foundation of the world, outside of time, predestining us, it says, for it. It means he's acting before we had anything to do with it. That's what predestiny means, that he chooses before you can say anything, before you have, before you have any say in it at all. And you may not like that, and that may be uncomfortable with the concept of free will, and we could talk about that after the service, but the, the concept is that before you could even have anything in you that might say, yeah, I should pick that person, it says, I'm choosing you before you have anything to do with it. Before there's anything where you could say, yes, that, that's me, I deserve to be chosen, he says, before any of that comes along, I choose you. And I choose you to be family when you were not Family. You ever had someone treat you like family? If you kind of belonged in somebody's house where you could come in the side door, the back door, any time of day, their parents knew you, they expected you to be there, you felt like family, you felt included when you didn't have to be included. You didn't grow up there, you weren't from them, but you were included that way. God treats us that way like you are welcome and expected, like you belong, like you are family, even though you are not family. When we had nothing to do with it, when we didn't have to be chosen that way, God chooses you that way. That's grace. In verse 5 and 6 say he does all this just because it makes him happy. Our translation says for the purpose of his will, but a better translation of that word that it's getting out of there is actually good pleasure, that it's pleasing to God's will. It's enjoyable for him to do this. He does this because he likes to do this. You know, they say do what you love and you never work a day in your life. God is doing what he loves and not really working in choosing you like this. It's what he likes to do. That's grace. So from these verses, Paul says grace is God personally giving you life giving you to thrive in a higher life than you know what to do with beyond your imagining, giving everything you could possibly need to thrive there and making you special and perfect for that kind of place and calling you to belong there, not just as friends, not just as someone who is an associate or a partner or a team member, but as family, as adopted-in family. And not because he has to, but just because he likes it because it makes his heart happy. That's grace. Undeserved favor shown towards people. 
And really, it's beyond expressing in some ways. It's hard to, there's like a little touch point, but it's hard to imagine what this really means. In the text, and Paul is inviting us by starting out in this way to sit down in this and to, to dwell in it for a minute so that we can really appreciate what's happening here. And so that's what we're going to do in our second point is to just sort of sit in the wonder of what Paul just described there and defining what God's undeserved favor to us looks like. Because when we define grace, when we come to see it's this completely amazing thing, unlike anything else, it it clicks for a minute that it is different, that there's something about it that seems strange and foreign that's not natural, that doesn't fit with the way that we think and we operate, the way that we expect things to be, and it's different. And at the same time, it can also be so easy to just pass completely by, especially if you've, you've been a Christian for a while or if you've been around Christians, you can think, grace, yes, got it, blah, 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 right? Free, easy, shiny, nice. Okay, great, grace, moving on. But theologian Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says that, that we lose sight of what a truly marvelous thing that grace is when we turn amazing grace into what he says, accustomed grace is, or expected grace, when it's just you expect it to be there. You expect it to be on time. You expect it to show up this way. We, we turn something truly otherworldly and different, extraordinary, crazy even, into something that is small and expected and everyday. And we miss the depths of what's in here that's meant to be that heartbeat of the faith. It's meant to come alive in us, spill out through us, and go out and out and out into the lives and the cities around us. See, by contrast, the dictionary of Paul in his letter says the astounding reality of divine grace demands an odd response. Grace, when we see it for what it really is, demands wonder shock. It's a thing that should stop us in our tracks, take our breath away, like, like seeing a, the Great Pyramid or the Great Wall. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, if you've seen the ocean, you've seen Mount Everest or pictures from space, it's something that's meant to take your breath away for a minute. It's not every day. It's not commonplace. It's different. Because grace is amazing when we really stop to think about this for a minute. And that's what I want to do here. It's amazing that God, the infinite, the eternal, infinite. My kids all the time say, can you count to infinity, right? And they want to sort of compete on that way. We know infinity is a concept. I've been told that. Do I know that really? No, I'm not a math person. But infinity, right? Without end. God, without end, our whole world is based around end. I end here, you end there, church ends at a certain time, this stops and starts at a turn. All we are is beginning and end, something completely without connection to that. Without beginning or end, not bound by time at all, God, that way, would create, care for, spend energy and resources and time on finite, limited creatures so completely bound up in time. It would be like you or I pouring our entire life's energy, all of our money, all of our resources, all of our thought, if everything you did from waking up to going to sleep, all the work that you did, any time you spend on social media, on the internet, whatever else, it was all spent on caring for one blade of grass. One like that. You would think that person is crazy. Some of us love plants. My wife loves plants. 
That is an extreme level of love, right? One little blade of grass. You might have known some dads growing up that had a similar love for blades of grass in their front yard, and they would manicure it and take care of it. But this one, just one, is crazy. It is out of your mind favor. Why would you spend all of your energy and resources? And this doesn't even begin to get at the distance between us and God, but it's that kind of picture. It's a crazy picture that God would invest like that over something like that. It's amazing that God would would go further and not just spend energy on it, but bestow heavenly blessings on earthly, finite creatures, things that are not ours by nature. He would give you things that are beyond you, that you really can't even hold in your hands right now, that don't make sense to you at this time. It would almost be like giving a jet, jet fuel, runways, navigations, and communication system to someone in ancient Egypt. You don't even know what to do with that. You're not going to know what to do with that for thousands of years. And yet he's just saying, here you go. I'm giving this to you. I want you to have this. It just pleases God to give them away. It is so much more than you would ask or expect or could even make sense of. It's like, it's like science fiction. It's fantasy. It is hard to grasp. It's amazing that that God with all that power, who likes to give in that way, would predestine you. Not just create you, but choose you before you existed. How does that even work? I don't know. It doesn't fit inside time and space, but would choose you and make you part of his family when you on your own wouldn't be and didn't have to. That he has all that power, that he can do something that I can't even conceive of. He has not just the ability to think about it, he has the power to do it. And he would use that power to think about and do something for you. The blade of grass. What do you and I spend our power on? Right? When you have energy, when you have free time, when you have free money, what do you spend it on? You don't spend it on something so small and tiny and passing. You spend it on great things. You spend it on, on trying to move towards bigger things. You don't spend it on something small that you would walk over and not even notice. In terms of our being, that is what we are compared to God. We are something that he would pass over and not even notice. And yet having that kind of power, he spends time thinking about planning ahead of time for you. Can you imagine? It's crazy. And yet scripture says the really crazy part, craziest of all is that verse four part. That the God who is holy and blameless, special and perfect, would plan, not just realize he messed up after the fact and say, okay, I'm doubling down, I'm in, but would plan beforehand to make you holy and blameless in Jesus Christ at great unimaginable cost to himself. Because we would eventually, through sin, become anything but holy and blameless ourselves. We would become unfit for connection with him, even undesirous of wanting anything but connection with him. And he would do it not at his convenience, but at his inconvenience. He would leave the higher reality to step into, live life day in and day out as a creature bound by time. 
and endure that lower reality as a poor, marginalized, overlooked, subjugated man in a corner of the world and would do that not to the glory of himself but would live a spotless life for the glory of God, the life that we had abandoned long ago when we said to God in sin, thank you for all the favor but we're better off alone. Thank you for giving me life but I'd really rather not have you in it. He lives that spotless life just, this was the purpose that he came for, just so that he not could kick back and enjoy, but could suffer. He uses his power, his infinity to come down, to be confined, and to suffer, to die in our place. The only way to break our brokenness of repeatedly turning away from God's favor and sin to seek something else that is so much less than dying in our place to break our brokenness and the only way that it would break it and not break us. Think about the wonder of that, that a being with that power, that infinity, and that magnitude would would limit himself so, would subject himself to that for you when he did not have to, when he could have simply turned the page on humanity and started over, like that like that. And instead, he chose to enter into pain to have you. Think about that. Think about a God like that. It is crazy, undeserved favor shown not to the favorable, but to the unfavorable, to the least deserving to the least of these. This is the wonder of grace. That God would give us, for all we are and all we are not, so much of himself, even after we have turned away from him time and time again, when he never even had to look our way in the first place, let alone after we said, no, thank you. Can you imagine someone doing something like that for you? Expending all their power, all their energy for you. And that brings us to the importance of the wonder. We need to not lose the wonder of this. And we're going to do business with this a little bit. But the wonder is really important. It is deeply important for our hearts. But it's also important for our minds because we, if you enter into the Christian life, you're going to grapple with grace a lot. Grace is foreign, and in some ways it stays foreign. It is hard to accept grace. Our hearts are almost like, it's like you get a transplant heart and you have to keep taking the anti-rejection medicine that would keep you from destroying yourself over it. Grace is like that. It is is foreign to us in some ways and we have to keep fighting by the power of the Holy Spirit to hold on to grace and not to shape it into something else. Because the wonder of God's grace is that it is crazy. It doesn't make sense. I want you to hear me say that clearly this morning. At a certain level, Christianity does not make sense. That's important as we're going to talk about because it's meant to not make sense. It's completely unexpected. It's not required. It's not deserved. It doesn't match. Who you are and what God gives you in grace are not meant to match. 
They are meant to be offset. There is always meant to be a difference. God is not waiting for them to sync up and saying, finally, got him. It is always meant to be off. Grace is meant to be unmatched, not matched. What makes the wonder of God's grace so crazy is also the only thing that makes it grace. If it's not crazy, I'll say it this way, it's not grace. If it's not mismatched, it's not grace. If it's expected, if it's deserved, it's ordinary, it is not grace. Grace, Scripture tells us, has to be like this. It has to be like this. It has to be an unnecessary wonder that doesn't make sense or it is not grace. My heart needs to hear that. Imagine your heart needs to hear that too. The grace needs to be this unnecessary, it doesn't belong to me and yet it belongs to me wonder. Because when grace becomes this expected reward for something good that I've done, for a behavior of mine, for a talent of mine, for, for an ability, for a gifting of mine, when, it, when it's something that is deserved, okay? In that moment, grace stops being grace. The moment that I somehow deserve it, the moment that it's somehow a reward, a payment for who I am, it has stopped to be, being grace and it has become a debt. You have exchanged, we have exchanged oftentimes, grace for a debt. It's something that someone owes you, not something that someone gives you. Grace is not a debt. It is a gift, a completely unrealistic gift given solely because someone wants to give it to you, just because they want to give it to you, not because you are owed it at all. To go back to the earlier example, if we were to give all of our effort, all of our money, all of our time and energy to a blade of grass, it cannot possibly be that you are doing that because you somehow owe that blade of grass all those things. Can't be, no way. No chance that you in the entirety of your being and complexity could owe all that to a blade of grass. It would be an insane act of favor and in no way a debt. In the same way, how could any of us possibly ever do anything that would make God owe us? If the distance between him and us is a, a million times greater than the distance between us and a blade of grass, how could we ever possibly do anything to make him owe us? Friends, it's insane on both sides of the coin. It's insane that God would give the grace that he gives, and it's insane that we would think that he would owe us the grace that he gives. Either way, it's crazy. We should want the side that's crazy good and not the side that's crazy bad. He doesn't owe us anything, but he chooses to give anyway. You see, the wonder of grace is to be able to say, it doesn't make sense that grace should be mine. It doesn't make sense that I should be a Christian. It doesn't make sense that I should belong to God, and yet it's mine. And yet he is mine. His favor doesn't fit my resume, doesn't fit my background, it doesn't fit the things that I've thought and said this week, this month in my life. 
It doesn't fit who I've been. It doesn't fit, and yet, it's mine. The crazy gift is what makes it grace. That's why the wonder is so important, because without the wonder, it is just a debt. And a debt makes no one free. One who borrows is not free, and the one who lends is not free. A debt makes no one free. It's the grace of God that makes you free. It's a gift that's not required that makes you free, because then I'm not saying, I owe this to you, I better live life a certain way. God, I haven't been who I've wanted to be this week, so I better make up for it next week. I better make up for it this year. I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to have a better heart disposition. And we're getting into debt. Debt doesn't make you free. Debt makes you scared. Debt makes you sad. A gift makes you free. When you say, I've been all these things, and yet God has chosen me. I have never known him in the way that I really ought to have known him, and yet God has chosen me. I've never been the kind of person that I should be. I've never treated people the way that I should. or I've only done it at certain times and for reasons that benefit me, and yet God has chosen me. Grace is what makes you free. Grace is what sets your relationships free. Debt is what makes our relationships die. So if you're feeling like grace does not make sense, like it's kind of crazy that God would treat me this way, that God would treat anyone this way, don't be afraid. You're not lost. You're actually getting closer to the truth, closer to reality. Because grace is crazy. Grace is a crazy gift that doesn't match. And if it feels crazy for you to have it, it's because it is crazy for you to have it. If you call CTK home, it should be crazy that you're here. None of you should sit here feeling like, I don't know if I should belong here. I don't know if I'm the right kind of person to be here. Maybe there are ways that we can send each other signals like that and we need to change from those things, but, but at a basic reality, grace should tell each and every one of us there is no good reason that I should be here. Friends, there is no good reason I should be here. No good reason. It is solely by grace, by undeserved favor. The insanity of it doesn't make it any less yours because it is a gift, not a debt. Maybe think about it like this. It's a little bit like some of the people that you hear about that go into a thrift store, they buy some vase or a painting for $10, and then they find out that it's this priceless work of art that's been lost by someone for, for 30 years, and it's actually worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. It doesn't matter that that person is not an art dealer. It doesn't matter that they spend most of their days at the thrift store. It doesn't matter that they're not rich, important, famous. The painting is theirs now. It's worth a crazy amount of money. It doesn't fit their resume. It doesn't fit their background. It doesn't fit the favor they've received, but it's theirs anyway. It just belongs to them. The grace of Jesus is like that. 
If you put your hope in God loving you just because it pleases him to love you, even you, then it's just yours. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It just belongs to you. You just have this crazy gift. And believe it or not, grace is a gift God loves to give. He thinks it's the absolute best. He thinks it's worth singing about. That's what it means to the, to the praise of his glorious grace. God seeing you, choosing you by grace, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it doesn't belong, he's not trying to hide that. He wants us to sing about that. He wants the angels to sing about that, that, that you were lost and you are found. That is a song worth singing to him, worth celebrating, worth shouting from the rooftops of creation. That is something he loves. He doesn't need to hide who you were. That is exactly what he wants to sing about, that I was lost, but now I'm found. That's how comfortable with grace he is. So to help make us a little bit more comfortable with grace ourselves, in closing, I want to encourage us to do two things. I want to encourage you to keep it crazy for you. I want to encourage you to keep it crazy for them. Keep it crazy for you. For all the times that you're going to be tempted to think, I'm not good enough for this. I don't believe strongly enough. I don't believe enough of the right things in exactly the right ways. I've done too many things that I should not have done. I've said too many things that I can't unsay. I'm out. I'm surely lost. Instead, I want you to think, actually, that makes me the perfect candidate for grace because who I am does not match with what he wants to do. Whenever you see your life and God's goodness go like this, I want you to think perfect candidate for grace. Perfect candidate for grace. It would be a crazy gift because it is a crazy gift. If it feels like your life doesn't match, keep it crazy. Keep the wonder in there. Keep it crazy for yourself because it is crazy. And when we lose the wonder of it, we lose it. We lose it as a gift. We let it be a debt. Or if you haven't ever kept it crazy, let me invite you to keep it crazy for the first time today or for the first time in a long time to come back to this, to see that there is, there is no distance. There is no amount of time. There's no amount of things that you should have done, places that you should have been. God's not concerned about that. Would God be concerned that one blade of grass is here and the other is here? And he's thinking, I don't know. That's like a foot and a half. I'm not going to make it. No, no, our stories do not deter him. They invite him. See how he's looking for you, as crazy as that is. And secondly, keep it crazy for them. Keep God's grace wild enough to cover that person in your life who really bothers you. Even just today, maybe all the time, siblings, amen. We won't point any fingers, but you know, over there, keep grace crazy enough for them or for the person that you feel like is, is really far from God and that you wish wasn't. Maybe for the person who is, who's hurt you, who's ignored you, keep grace crazy enough for them because that's going to do something for your heart as well. Because then if they can be a candidate for grace, then, then I can be a candidate for grace.
If grace can be bigger because of who they are, then don't I have a greater hope of grace for me? They can be a candidate for God's grace too because it has nothing to do with them. It doesn't make sense because it's just crazy. And if grace comes to you as a crazy gift, then let it be a crazy gift for everyone. For everyone. Let it always and ever be a crazy gift. Who is beyond the reach of God's grace if it's this crazy? That doesn't mean that we can always trust all the people in our lives and some of them have have hurt us in ways that have broken our ability to relate to them. But if we hold open the door that, that God would be gracious even to people like that, then imagine what he would do for me. Because if I start putting it in categories, if only certain kind of people can receive grace, then at a certain point, I'm going to start closing the door on myself. And sometimes, some way, you're going to be tested in a way that you didn't imagine. And you're going to find yourself feeling like this is the point where I am no longer in. Instead of saying grace is crazy, there is no way I am out. Hear that grace is undeserved favor that doesn't match. And let that be for you. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space at CTK for you to respond, to just talk to God freely in your hearts about some of the things we've just talking about, maybe thanking him that, that his grace would be this kind of crazy gift or confessing the ways that, that really you're more comfortable making it a debt, that you feel better if it was about something you do or asking God to help you just, just hold on to the craziness of this gift and not flatten it, not for yourself, not for others. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you that your love for us is this crazy this wild. Would you soak that into our hearts now? In your name we pray. Amen.